We are finishing our series, as you heard uh, Pastor Jay say earlier, uh, on This Is Our God. What we know about our God is what he, by what he has revealed to us about himself in Scripture. We're going to look at the last of his attributes this morning. In, in the country of Armenia in 1988, Samuel and Danielle sent their young son, Armad, off to school. And Samuel squatted before his son and looked at him in the eye. And he said, son, have a good day at school. And remember that no matter what, I will always be there for you. They hugged the boy and sent him off to school. Hours later, a powerful earthquake rocked the area. In the midst of the pandemonium, Samuel and Danielle tried to get a hold of the school and discover what happened to their son, but they could not get any information. The radio was saying that there were thousands impacted. They quickly grabbed their coats and headed for the school, and when they reached the area, what they saw brought tears to their eyes. Armad's school was a pile of rubble. Other parents were standing around and crying. Samuel found the place where Ahmad's classroom used to be, and he began to pull rocks and beams off the pile. He then grabbed a rock and put it aside. He grabbed another rock and put it aside. And one of the parents looking at him said, what are you doing? He said, I'm digging for my son. The man said, you're just going to make things worse. The building is unstable. And he tried to pull Samuel away from digging for his son. Samuel shook him off and set his jaw and kept on working. As time wore on, one by one, the other parents left. Then a firefighter tried to pull Samuel away from the rubble, and Samuel looked at him and said, Won't you help me? And the firefighter said, We've been helping for hours. And he left. All through the night and into the next day, Samuel continued digging. Parents placed flowers and pictures of their children by the ruins, but Samuel kept working. Beam after beam, rock after rock, moving it away. And then after late into the next day, he heard a faint cry of help, help. And Samuel listened, but he, he, he finally heard as he was calling out to the sound, and he heard a muffled voice say, Papa? Samuel began to dig furiously. Finally, he could see his son. And he said, come out, son. And he said with relief. Armad said, no, let the other kids come out first because I know you'll get me. Let the other kids come out first because I know you'll get me. Child after child emerged until finally Armad appeared. Samuel took him in his arms and Armad said, I told the other kids not to worry because you said that you would always be there for me. Fourteen children were saved that day because one father was faithful. Friends, how much more faithful is our heavenly father by whether fallen by debris or ensnared by life's hardships and struggles, we are never, ever cut off from God's faithfulness. He is true to his character. He is reliable. He is trustworthy and can be counted on in all ways. So here is 
a simple definition. God's faithfulness means that everything he says and does is certain. It is certain. You can take it to the bank. He is 100% reliable 100% of the time. He does not fail. He does not forget. He does not falter. He does not change. He does not disappoint. He says what he means, and he means what he says, and therefore does everything that he says he will do. So let's look at some, a few key passages on God's faithfulness this morning. It says in Deuteronomy 7, 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who loves him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations. Then the psalmist says in Psalms 89, 8, O Lord of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. These verses, when taken together, establish that God's faithfulness is not some minor or secondary part of his character. To say that God is faithful goes to the very core of who he really is. If he didn't keep his word, if he was not faithful, he would not be God. The attributes of God, the best way to think about it as we wrap up this series, are really kind of like an automobile engine. You have you know, the pistons, the fan belts, the water pumps, you know, a thousand moving parts inside of the combustible engine in a small space making power for us to drive our car. The parts all work together harmoniously as components of the whole engine. That's the way that God's attributes function as well. If you took away love, God's character would not be complete. God's love works with all of the other attributes like his justice to produce the right kind of results. We can compare God's faithfulness to the oil in the engine that keeps the internal parts running smoothly. God's faithfulness means that each attribute in his character is working at full capacity at all times. When does God's love fail? Never. Why? Because he is faithful. When is God less holy? Never. Because his character is pure and he is always faithful to who he is and what he says he will do. The great writer A.W. Tozer put it this way, All of God's acts are consistent with all his attributes. No attribute contradicts any other, but all harmonize and blend into each other. He never changes. Paul drew on this truth when he wrote to the Thessalonians. He says, He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. We come to the, the book of... We're going to look at here for a few moments this morning, the book of Lamentations. And Lamentations is really a collection of sad songs or laments. It's a, it's a mournful postscript of the book of Jeremiah. If you'll look back at Jeremiah and his life, he was called the weeping prophet. And the book of Jeremiah is so sad because the nation of Israel had turned their back upon God, the, nation, the, the southern tribe of Judah. And they'd rejected God. In a lot of the book, the Babylonian Empire had surrounded Jerusalem, had placed it under siege. And Jeremiah, being in the city, seeing the people starve, seeing the people turn to 
cannibalism. They were starving to death. It was such, such a terrible time for the nation of Judah. And Jeremiah writes the book of Lamentations as a lament. And as we come to Lamentations chapter 3, we see Jeremiah, he bears his heart in despair. No prophet ever pleaded with the people more in an impassioned manner than Jeremiah did to the people of Israel, and they rejected him. And no one except Jesus was treated with more contempt than Jeremiah. So we see nine laments in in, in Lamentations chapter 3. And we see this weeping prophet. He just lets it all hang out. We're going to see his emotions are just raw and real. And some of you may look at these and say, you know what, this is, I've had this emotion. I've felt what Jeremiah is feeling. So let me summarize his really almost nine complaints or laments that Jeremiah has here. He says in verse 1, you know, he looks at his, God is angry. God, he sees his trouble and he knows it's because God is upset with his people. He says, verse 1, I am the man who has, been, who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. Then he says in verse 2, he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Jeremiah is in, in the darkness. Instead of seeing things clearly, Jeremiah feels lonely. He feels like he's in darkness. In verse 3, he says, surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He feels like God is against him because of what he is seeing and what he is experiencing. Because of God's judgment on the nation. Jeremiah feels like God is against him. Then verse 4, he has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. You see, Jeremiah in this, he is tormented physically and spiritually and mentally. And in verses 15 and 16, he describes how his life is becoming filled with bitterness and how his teeth have been broken and how he feels trampled in the dust. Then number five, he cannot find release. Jeremiah can't figure out how to escape the pain and anguish he feels. He feels like a man trapped in a maze. And then six, in verse eight, he says, Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. May you ever feel like God is just not hearing your prayers? His prayers are unanswered. Then verse 14, he says, I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all the day long. People are just making fun of him. There's that crying prophet over there, taunting him, making fun of him. Number eight, he is ready to give up. Ever felt like you're ready to throw in the towel after all that he's been through? He just wants to throw it in the bag. An honest cry of despair, verse 17, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. His last one, his hope is all gone. He says, my endurance has perished, so my hope, so has my hope from the Lord. He cannot forget his troubles because they ambush him at every turn. 
talk about like an emotional response here. This is really, this is being honest with your emotions before God. This is what he is truly feeling in this moment. And as, as much as he tries to minimize his problems, he can't help but think about his affliction and his wondering and the bitterness that floods through his life in verse 19. And when he remembers all that he has gone through and he is understandably distraught and bummed out, he says in verse 20, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. He's ready to give up. He's done. He's done. You know, while Jeremiah experienced a lot of pain and agony, my guess is that some of you relate to the verses that we just read. And you have the words maybe to Jeremiah's song already memorized because you've prayed this same thing to God at points in your life. Perhaps you're experiencing many of the same things that Jeremiah experienced in his life and you're wondering, is God faithful? Maybe like Jeremiah, you feel like God is mad at you. You feel like you're in the dark or like God is against you. Or you have this mental and physical pain. You cannot find release. You're ready to give up. Your hope is gone. Maybe that's where some of you are this morning. It's okay to be honest with God and express your real feelings like Jeremiah did. But it's not okay to stay there. Jeremiah had every reason to sing the blues And from the world's perspective, he had every reason to pitch away his faith, but he didn't. He forced himself to think about God's character. In particular, we're going to see here, he grabbed on to God's faithfulness. Some of you may think that you can't help what you're feeling. And I, I don't mean this to come across as harsh, but you don't have to allow what you've gone through to keep you emotionally entangled and spiritually sidetracked forever. Jeremiah understands your pain. Now look at what Jeremiah attached himself to when his world was falling apart in verse 21. Is the hinge on which this book in Jeremiah's life turns. He says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Life's bad. Life's awful. But I remember this. I remember this. While his outward affliction and inward turmoil has pushed him to despair, Jeremiah forces himself to remember and bring to the forefront of his mind, like a computer that defaults to certain settings, each of us, we have a despair default. If we don't reconfigure our minds, we'll slide down the slippery slope of discouragement and lament. And here's how it works. Jeremiah focused on those things that were filling his mind. He was going to be bummed out if he continued down that path. But in verses 19 and 20, he says, Remember my affliction and my wonderings, the wormwood and uh, and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. In order to break out of this pattern and cycle of despair, Jeremiah needed to be vigilant about what he would allow himself to think about. He brought other things to his mind and he called them up from his hard drive of his mind and he made himself think about it. 
And he said in verse 21, But this I call to my mind, and therefore I have hope. Before we get to that, friends, what did Jeremiah, what he did was something we need to do as well. We need to engage our will and deliberately think about the attributes of who our God is through this series instead of the struggles of our life. Force yourselves to remember truth. Recall a Bible verse, this one in Jeremiah, in in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21, is a great one. God demonstrated his grace. Remember that he demonstrated his grace and mercy to you. Push God's faithfulness to the front of your mind, even when you don't feel like doing it. Because when you do, God will restore your hope, your life, by crowding out the hopelessness that has consumed your emotions. Now, what did Jeremiah call to his mind when he was hurting? What did he lock onto in the, when his life was full of rubble? Four phrases in verses 22 and 23. Each one raises and answers an important question for us. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end and they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I call this to my mind, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. I'm in the depths of despair. I don't know how I'm going to face today. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. God, where are you today? Great is your faithfulness. Several questions maybe we need to think about in this life. Number one, why doesn't God destroy me? And this is not a theoretical question. We all walk closer to the edge than we think. There is a thin line between disaster and prosperity, joy and sorrow, laughter and tears, life and death. And here's Jeremiah's answer. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Why doesn't God destroy us? He could and he should. He could because he is God and he should because we are sinners. Our sin would consume us if it were not for his great love. The Hebrew word for love, as we learned this last week in our Tuesday night small group, is a Hebrew word called hesed, a word rich with meaning. It has within it the idea of loyal love. A love that will not let go because it does not depend on emotion, but an act of the will. God was sticking by the people he had chosen. God's love is for us. He promised to us to love us, and nothing can cause him to break that promise. As bad as things are, if it were not for God, they would be worse. Remember that. As bad as things are right now in life. If it were not for God, it would be worse. That seems obvious, and perhaps it is, but we all need to hear it. If it were not for God's love, no matter how bad things are in your life, they would be much, much worse without the Lord. 
So number two, how do we know that God is keep, will keep on loving me? The second half of the verse 22 gives the answer to this question. His mercies never come to an end. I want you to notice the word mercies is plural. God's mercy is intense and limitless. It comes in rolling waves from the very presence of God. The rivers of mercy run fully and constantly, and they never run dry. God's compassion emanates from deep within him, and it floods our life. His mercies are new every day. He provides for us day after day after day. Number three, when will God give me what I need? Hope for each of us to last on to. They are new every morning. Think about it this way. What if you woke up in the morning to find your every day, to find your purse full of money, your car full of gas, your refrigerator full of food, your youth and vitality fully restored? That's the way it is with God's compassion and mercy. You can never use them up. You can never exhaust God's mercy. You remember the story of God, of the people of Israel in the wilderness as they're traveling through how did God supply their needs every day? He sent manna from heaven. And he told them, gather what you need for that day. Because if you try to store up for the next day, what would happen? He said, they'll send maggots and it'll be moldy and you won't need it. Except on the Sabbath, I want to show you that my mercy, my provision will be there for you day after day after day. That is still the same God that we serve today. This is how God taught his people to trust him day by day to meet their daily needs. I can tell you, church, learn this lesson. God's mercies come day by day. They come when we need them, not earlier and not later. God gives us what we need day by day. And if we need more, he would give us more. When we need something else, he will give us that as well. Nothing we truly need will ever will ever be withheld from us because his mercy is new each day. And number four, what is my hope for living? This question is answered in the last part of verse 23. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah was rocked by the limitless supply of God's grace offered to him. Whatever hard things we go through, we must never doubt God's faithfulness. We are to celebrate his faithfulness day in and day out. As we finish up this morning, I want to give you just a couple of practical ways that you can experience God's faithfulness in your life. The obvious one here that we've talked about is when you struggle. All of us experience hard times in our lives. Some of you are struggling even right now with sickness, financial pressure, grief, even depression. Friends, do what Jeremiah did when your mind is flooded with the difficulties of life. Choose to focus on God's love, his mercy, and his faithfulness. He does not promise to prevent problems from coming into our lives, but he does promise to go through them with us. Can you do that right now? Call to mind what you know to be true. 
God is faithful. He will always be there. Here's the second thing. When you're tempted, and some of you are facing incredible temptation on a daily basis, did you know that God, that because God is faithful, he will always provide a way out of temptation for you? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What tempts you this morning? What is your fatal flaw? In what ways are you drawn to do something that you know is not right? Remember this, God is faithful and he will provide a way out. You do not have to give in. He knows exactly the limits of what we can bear. God's faithfulness is tied directly to providing us a way to say no to sin. When we give in to sin, it's because our focus is on the attractiveness of the temptation rather than on God's faithfulness to deliver us from that situation. To say that God is faithful is to say that God is committed to you. He is steadfastly devoted to you and he's looking to pull you out from under the rubble of your life. God's faithfulness is ultimately on display in the life, death, and burial of Jesus Christ. You see, we were lost in sin with no hope. And God's faithfulness provided us a way out. All throughout the Old Testament, God was saying, I am going to provide an ultimate sacrifice for your sin. All of the Old Testament sacrificial law was foreshadowing, pointing to the coming of Christ. He was faithful in that promise all throughout the Old Testament by sending Christ to this earth the first time. To live the life that we should have lived. Died the death that we should have died. To pay our sins debt. Why did that happen? Because he is a faithful God. He will do what he says he will do. And he is faithful today. We can take the confidence of knowing that he said he will send his son a second time to this earth to take those who believe in him, who have looked to Christ as their Lord and Savior, to be in heaven with him. How do we know that's going to happen? Because he has been faithful in all that he has said up until this point. So we can take it to the bank and know that Christ will return again because our God is is faithful. So when we see the wickedness of this world and our lives are in ruins and maybe we are feeling like Jeremiah in Lamentations chapter 3. Hang on to the steadfast love of the Lord. Why? Because it never ceases How are we going to face the day knowing that his mercy is new each and every morning? How do we know that our God is faithful? 
because he sent Christ here to die upon a cross for you and to me. We serve a faithful God. Let's pray.